Morning, everyone. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Glad that you were able to make it, and uh, I'm happy to be here myself. I cannot tell you all how much I thank the Lord for you all participating in this coming, and uh, coming so faithfully. I'll tell you, it's an encouragement. And when the Lord laid this on my heart, I told Deb, I said, I said, I don't have any expectations as far as how many comes. I said, I'd like to have the house full as far as that goes, but I plan to do this until I feel like I've just uh, fulfilled the Lord's will for me. So anyway, hope this, uh, the lesson tonight is a blessing. I'm excited about it, and uh, I hope we leave here saying it's been a good place to be. Father, what a joy it is to be able to approach your throne once again to what your son Jesus did. Oh, I'm thankful for the veil that was rent in twain to give us, me, Lord, this lump of clay, the opportunity to enter into the throne room of heaven. What a joy that is. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our needs. These requests and others, Lord, that have not been spoken, that could have been, the uplifted hand, the heart that you know, Father, we just pray that you'd meet the needs as, as you see fit. God, I pray, especially where death has come, like in Lori's family, that you would be near all of them and, and those families, Lord, where death seems like it's lingering. And that could be it in my family without Debbie and I knowing about it. God, I pray that you would just allow folks to see your grace in action. Thank you, Lord, for your word that instructs us and, and that feeds us and enlightens us. And we pray tonight as we look in, Lord, to this great book, that our eyes might be open, that we might see, or mind, God, that we might understand, and our ears might hear, God, what the Spirit saith. Bless us, Lord, each and every one, and those looking on, those listening in, God, may you just touch them in a special way. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's take the Word of God, please. Turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And as we're turning, I think we can quote our, our foundational verse for this series of lessons on what the Bible says about the security of the believer, John 3.16. So if you would, you can quote it with me. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Last week we looked at uh, the beam of the judgment seat of Christ and we could have spent lots more time there. Matter of fact, we could spend a lot more time on any of these subjects that we've looked at thus far. Uh, but we were looking at, at the uh, judgment of the believer for the works that, that we do and how we'll either, because of our attitude and because of our purpose and our intent, even the character that we do it with, we either suffer loss of rewards or we will have Rewards, And let me just share a couple of things with you, and then we're going to, to move on just to connect us from that to this. If you look at the Word of God, there are at least five crowns that, that are available to be won. And I don't know whether I can remember all five of them or not. I'm going to start with there's a crown of life. There's a soul winner's crown. <clears throat> there's a crown for enduring temptation when we're tried. There's a crown for those that love and look for and love the appearing of Christ. I hope I have that one. That's second, 
Timothy chapter 4, where Peter or Paul said, There's a crown laid up for me and not for me only, unto, but unto all those that love his appearing. And then there's a, a pastor's crown. And, and uh, I, I, here's the deal. These crowns are not for us to wear around in glory and parade ourselves, you know, through all the vast universe that God has created and will be uh, accessible to. But if you read chapter 4 of the book of the Revelation, you'll find that they are, are given to us so that we might give them back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'll be honest, I want something to lay, I want something to lay at His feet. We can lose all of our rewards but still have a saved soul. You remember what I told you, J. Vernon McGee said, there will be people in heaven that smell like they come through a fire cell. Y'all remember that? I think that is such a great statement. And if you want to see how serious it is, if you go back to the book of 1 Corinthians and follow this man into 2 Corinthians, and eventually I say we'll speak of him in our future studies, <clears throat> there was a man that was guilty of having having had, well, having committed adultery with his, with his uh, stepmother. And even Paul said, now look, we're going to deliver this man up to Satan. Now listen to this, that his flesh might be destroyed, that his soul might be saved in that day. There's a lot of mysteries in the Word of God to me, but I'll tell you what, a lot of these just simply point to the greatness of the work that Christ did at Calvary when he died for me and you, shed his blood, rose out from among the dead, continues his work of intercession for us. So, before we look into 1 John and what he has to say, anybody got any questions or comments that you'd like to make? All righty. I want to make a, um, a little correction, if, if I can. I, I, you know, when I was talking about the Spirit of God coming upon David, I don't know whether I corrected this last week or not, but it's still on my mind, so I'm going to. I said that, uh, you know, it came to dwell on him forever. And I believe it did. And, and I, you know, there are some people who have differences of opinion of everything, on everything. Now, whether it came on him, and I didn't do any word search, I should have now that I'm standing here thinking about, or he possessed it, it was within him, because when we read Psalm 51, and we looked at this, and David prayed, Remove not thy Holy Spirit from me. That could mean either in me or on me. Whatever, like I said, the only individual that I read in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God came and dwelled upon. Being in the fact that he was a picture of Christ, there's a lot of reasons why that could be. So here's what we're going to do in the book of, of 1 John. We're not, going to, we're not going to go through a five-chapter study. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be real brief in my remarks and my comments. I'm going to focus them on this subject. And John, I'm telling you, John's really clear now. He'll, he'll, he uses strong language. He uses words like liar. And, and he's pretty straight in what he has to say. It's real easy to understand John. There, there's, there, there's no symbolism in here. John, just a straight uh, shooter. And what we have in the book of John that was written by John the Apostle, the same individual that wrote the gospel according to John and who was the scribe of Jesus. And, and, and I was trying to think the other name of it, and I can't. But anyway, he was the one that recorded uh, the, the revelation. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. 
So that's the guy that wrote this. He lived the longest of the apostles, and um, the last book that he wrote was, was the Revelation. The reason I say that, there's, there's a good reason for that when you begin to study the remainder of the Word of God. But what this book is, it is a family letter. God writes it to his children. If you look through here when he refers to children, the word is B-A-I-R-N-S, barns. It's almost like an Irish word, you know, almost like the Irish would speak. But, but it's talking about children, little children. It's talking about the children of God. And let me say this right here. God has no stepchildren. Now, that's important. We're either a child of God or we're not, okay? Now, John is, is, is very clear he, he writes according, I believe it is without looking, and it's right here before me in verse 4. He writes so that our joy may be full. Now you go to the end of his book, and through his book you'll, write, you'll learn that he wrote to prove that God is light, just like John, the gospel according to John says. You'll see that he is love, and you'll see that he is life. It follows the same pattern. He had a purpose to present something to his readers. But I believe the big reason where he said, these things have written to you that your joy may be full. I want to tell you what, until we know that we're secure in Christ, you can't have the true joy that you can have when you know it. Now, whether you realize that or not, I do. That's a personal testimony comes straight for the heart and I'm telling you, it is real. When there is no doubt in our hearts and in our minds about something, it gives us peace. Would you all agree with that? If you would, say amen. But when there is question after question, when there is no assurance and no certainty, that, that breeds something besides peace. It's unrest, and it's a continual anxiety. But John wants to do something about that. So as we begin this chapter... I'm going to pick it up in, in, in verse 5, and we're going to read maybe down through the remainder of this chapter, and probably we'll end to the first two verses, and on a couple more down in chapter 2. And listen to what he says. After he said in verse 4, and I'm going to read it, and these things write me unto you that your joy may be full. He said, this then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I'm going to take time to explain light, but let me say it this way. It simply means that God is holy. He is so holy that there is not even one little speck of dirt or darkness or sin in Him. Not even one little speck. Now see, that excites me. I love to say that as often as I can. Not even one little speck, meaning that He is pure, He is sinless, He is holy, completely. Now, none of, our, none of us are like that. But one day we're going to be. Listen to what he goes on to say. Now, he sets the standard here in verse 5. I can say I'm going to be real simple, but I'm going to be real pointed to what this series is about. He goes on to say, how does he start verse 6? You know what that means? That means, look, there's a question here. Now, I've told you all before from this pulpit, the word if in the King James Bible is always translated as 
as a hypothetical thing. The word if, that's what it means to us. It's hypothetical. In the Greek where they are found, there's two different words. They are spelled E-I and E-A-N. One of them means what we think if is, meaning that it is a hypothetical uh, condition that if something happens, we can expect an outcome. But in the Greek, one of those words, and I can't remember which it is, the spelling, doesn't mean, does, has nothing to do with a hypothetical case. Now this one does. But the one, the other word, instead of being hypothetical, it could be read, you've heard me say this, since or in light of the fact. Now, when you read the context of it, for instance, John 14, what is it? Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And what's the next word? And if. Now, we know he went, so it's not if, hypothetically. He is saying, and since I go away, I will come again. God's so clothed, you know, the flower of the grass. I mean, I, I could go on. I'm not going to take time. I'm going to stop on that. But look what he goes on in verse 6. He said, if we say, let me stop right there. People can say anything they want. We can say and testify to anything we want. That doesn't make it true. Oh, newsflash, y'all sound like y'all need this. People lie like a dog. I didn't say anything about the internet either. I'm just talking about people before the internet. People lie. People lie. If we say, watch this, that we have fellowship with Him. Now that's what this is all about. Fellowship, and, 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 and this is me in relation to God and Christians, fellowship is a result of relationship. Am I close in that? Would you all agree? I think so too. So these two words are not synonymous, but they are related to one another. If we say... If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and here's, listen to this, and walk in darkness, we what? And do not the... So you see, you can say anything, but you might be living in untruth. It may not be true. You may just be a flat-out liar. This isn't the last time John uses that word in this little epistle either. He's very, he's very bold. Now, when he says we walk, if we say that we have fellowship one with, another, with, with him, and yet we walk in darkness. What's it mean to walk? What's the idea behind walk? Define that word. Explain that word, walk. Living your life, lifestyle, the way you act. It is a progressive, it is a habitual idea. That's what is there. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I think I told you all the wrong tense in Greek. Now, this is important. And we're going to see this in other places that, that we look at this. And I, look, folks, I can't tell you all how many times, how many hours I spend checking myself out after I say something from this pulpit. I know people have the Internet. I encourage you all to read and research. Josh and I do that all the time. But be careful how you do it and who you believe after you do. When you look at this, I, I mean, I remember when I learned this. My source of this, I'll go ahead and tell you, is Wiest Word Studies. Kenneth Wiest wrote a series of, of books on, on it's, it's, it's lexiconical 
lexicons. Is that it? Lexicon of Greek lexicon. It's lexiconical studies, meaning they study Greek words and their relation to words in English and how we have them in our translation. You'll find some people that say Kenneth Weiss, who was a phenomenal Greek scholar who was at Moody Bible School for years. I forget exactly his title there. Well-known, well-accepted, one of the most frequently read after Greek scholars that, that I see in all the writings that, of other men that, that I read after. He's well-known. And there'll be people that say that Kenneth Weiss is wrong and therefore T.K. Price is wrong because I believe what Kenneth Weiss says. And a lot of other men I read after, they agree with Kenneth Sweet. So I just wanted to let you know you can find people that would disagree with me. But as we look at this, and this word walk, though it doesn't have the, uh, the E-T, let me go on to get verse 7, and this will help. It said, and I'll back up, but if we walk, or since, see, this is different, but since we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, look at the word, cleanse us, E-T-H, us from all sin. Now, these words are what they call Greek present tense. And here's the deal. Here's what Greek perfect tense means. It speaks of an act that has been completed in the past, that still has a continuing effect in the present. Now, if you're wondering, what about tomorrow? When we get to tomorrow, it'll still be acting. In other words, once it starts, it doesn't stop. Now, folks, that's good. That was worth coming for tonight right there. But here's what he's saying now, and I'll pick this up a little bit more here. If we walk in a continual way in darkness... We're, 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 not, we're not saved. We lie and do not the truth. I mean, if we say we're walking in a continual way in darkness, we're lying. You know what that means? According to what I understand, John says, look, if their life is habitually sinful in darkness, not just on occasionally, not... How many in here is perfectly sinless? Stand up and take the floor. How many in here will be, regretfully but honestly, a sinner on occasion, say amen? Now, none of us like it when we do it. Say amen right there. And we, we are sorry and repent when we do it. Say amen right there. You see, that proves you're saved. Listen, if you can sin and it not bother you, I'd go to the Lord in prayer. I'd either find out what was wrong with my convictor or my conversion. Because there's something wrong. If you sin habitually and there's no chastisement in your life. Look, if we're sons, we're all chastised. That's what Hebrews 12 says. And if we're not chastised, then you know what? Word of God uses a strong word. It uses the word, then you're bastards. You know what that means? That means illegitimate sons, meaning you're not a true son of God. Now, we don't like to hear these things, but this is what the Word of God said. What this is saying is this. He said, look, 
You can say anything you want to about your relationship with Jesus Christ, being saved, belong to any church, be on any board, lead any committee, do everything that a Christian does, dress like them, act like them, talk like them. But if your life is a habitual life of sin, you're a liar and you're not saved. Everybody got that? Did I make that clear? Am I beating a dead horse? Isn't that amazing? And, and, and you know, that saddens me because I'm afraid there's a lot of people that believe they're saved and they're not. That little thing, Miss Blanche, is the Holy Spirit. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. He's, it, he's the Holy Spirit that, that is working on us to convict us of our sins. Of course, I preached that a little bit Sunday. There's a difference between being convicted and, and condemned. But let's go on. He said, but. Now look, on the other side. He said, but if we have a walk, a habitual life, habitual uh, habit of walking in the light or in the truth, we have fellowship one with another. And here's what I like. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I was saved April 23rd, 1974. That's the day I count my salvation. I was actually saved when I was a kid, when I was 10 or 11 years old. But it became real to me April the 23rd, 1974. I was saved. Now, there was never a time after I, I got saved when I was a kid that I didn't do something I knew was wrong. Never a time. I'm telling you, never a time. You can't sin successfully, Spurgeon said, as a child of God. You can sin, but you'll not sin successfully. You can sin, you won't enjoy it like you did before you or I were, were, were sinners. But he said, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us, meaning that once it started to cleanse us from our sin, it's never ceased. Now you see, this is one of the problems I had when I testified in the first night of these series, turn over if you will, and look, hold on just a minute, where is it at? Yeah, it's right there, at the end of it, Lord, I don't know what I'm thinking. But anyway, when I first testified the first night of this series, I said when I got saved in, in my country, in my culture, the, uh, the, the faith that I was brought up in, good people, godly people, people that, that I had as heroes and still do, some way or another, they didn't say this verbally, but I was made to believe that when I got saved, when I'd kneeled an altar and repent of my sin, the blood of Jesus Christ would take care of all my sins in the past. I had no question about that. I knew I was made a new creature. I knew I was on the way to heaven. But somewhere or another, I thought that I was responsible for every sin from that day forward. Man, that's a big load to carry. Trust me when I tell you all, I had no peace in my heart. Especially after I, you know, come down off of that spiritual high when I first got saved and realized the old man was not dead. Nobody had told me I'm to reckon him dead. I thought the old man died. He, he's not dead. He's not dead in you either, right? He will one day be gone when, when we're gone. So, but you know what? Listen to what this says. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from some sin. The word all, what's the word all mean? That's all, all means is all. Well, let me identify it a little bit more clearly. Not only our past sin, but our present sin and our future sins. All of them. Saved by the blood of the Lamb. 
cleansed. And folks, it just doesn't get any better than that. Let's go on. Questions, comments? Verse 7, he goes on to say, If we say that we have no sin. Now that word sin there means sin nature. He's not talking about sins as far as acts. In ACTS, by the way, not the book, but, but acts, things that we do. Um, he's, talking about, he's talking about little things from day to day. And as you go through the book of John, reading it, there are times that we have to identify or differentiate between the sin nature and sins that we do. If we say that we have no sin, who do we deceive? Now, I know there are people, there are different denominations that believe that we on planet Earth can reach a point of sinless perfection. Everybody look up here. No, you can't. That verse of Scripture says it is impossible. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to brag on Mama Walker. She believed that. Her son was a, was a holiness preacher, okay? And Mama loved the Lord, but, you know, just like a lot of us back in those days, we weren't real, you know, educated and intelligent. So anyway, uh, Mama believed that. And I'm going to tell you all something. If there was ever any person I've known in my lifetime that reached that, she did. But I know just like as well as I know myself, she had this flesh, and at times, I know she wanted to kill Papa. <laughs> she loved him, but anyway, I say that tongue in cheek. But the Bible, according to the Word of God, on this side of the grave. Now look, though, this is very serious. As we grow in grace and knowledge, we ought to sin less tomorrow than we did today. And I know everybody will agree with that. Let's go on. He said, and here it is, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me ask y'all something. What if we don't confess our sin? And let, me add, let me make it a little more personal. Anybody in here ever sinned besides me and kind of bull up and say, well, pff, I'm just not going to ask God to forgive me? Oh, y'all are real pious, right? You never tried that? Can I tell you all then from personal experience, that doesn't work too well. If you and I are saved and we sin, and maybe we forget, maybe we don't boil up, maybe, maybe we don't get in a rebellious spirit, God will convict us. That's what the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons He has sent into this world, Jesus said in the book of John, either 14 or 16, when He comes, He will convict the world of sin. That's what he does. That's that little thing you called little in your head. That's the Holy Spirit working with us and speaking with us. We'll know it. And if you read, and I thought about going there, but I'm not going to take the time. If you read Hebrews 12 again, chastisement is a part of every believer's life. And we will get to the book, or the fifth chapter in this book of 1 John, to see that, that we as believers can sin a sin unto death, a sin that God will remove us off planet earth and take us home early. That's what a sin unto death is. So it's pretty, it, it, it's a, you know, pardon? There is a sin that we can commit as believers, 
It's different for all of us, although it may be the same. It's still different. There's not just a particular sin that if we commit it, God will take us home early before our time as a form of chastisement, the ultimate chastisement. I'll say more about it when I get there. I'm just trying to prime the pump and kind of hopefully get your, get your taste buds spiritually working. He goes on to say in verse 10, if we say, and there it is again, people can say anything they want, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. Third time John's used the word liar, I think. It's pretty straight shooting. Folks, if a, if a man from Boone County can understand this, you folks from Kanoa County ought to not have any problem at all. I've, I've come to find out that all y'all from Boone County are just, or from Kanoa County, just like us from Boone County, do what? Turn there real quick. Chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Thank you, Phyllis. That's a great, that's a great passage. Well, you're turning, I'll tell you this. In chapter 6, 7, and 8, here's how I look at this and see this. In chapter 6, Paul is giving his testimony of a young convert, a new believer, somebody come out of light, or out of darkness into light. And he says, man, I've got this made. This, this Christian stuff is easy. He steps into chapter 7 and realizes as a growing Christian that he is in the battle of his life. He steps out of chapter 7 into chapter 8 where he realizes the way to live in a victorious Christian uh, way is to yield ourselves to the Spirit. An oversimplification of three great chapters in a great book in the Word of God. Well, let's pick it up here in verse 15 of chapter 7. Now, I'll let you all do this homework. I'm not going to do it tonight. But here's what you can do. When you look at the word I, as Paul repeats it, if you look at this and read it over and over again and either substitute I or add to I the old man or I the new man, all of this will become more clear to you. Okay? And you won't have any time, hard time, figuring out how appropriate it is. I'm going to read it kind of fast because it's better that way, I think. He said, for that which I do, okay, talk about the new man there, or I mean the old man, I, the new man, allow not. I'm just going to prime it for you. That's kind of the way. He said, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin, the principle of sin, the old nature of sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Dwelleth no good thing for me to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good I would do, I do not. And the evil which I would not, that do I. Now if I, that, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth. In, this is clear to all of you, right? But isn't it fun? All right, now, but back up and do the exercise. Get, get alone where you can think. Even write these out. Put them in different categories. And I'm telling you, it'll become clear. I, the old man, or I, the new man. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is ever present. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members 
You see in verse 22, he's talking about the new man. Verse 23, the old man. I see law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity uh, to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this flesh? Now look here. If this chapter stopped right there, I'd close my Bible, I'd leave this church and never darken the doors of the house of God again. I'd never open my book. If all Paul had was, was, was a testimony of how wretched he was with no deliverance, with no help, and that continued battle, with no assurance, with no comfort, no hope, I'd have quit a long time ago. But read with me the last verse. Listen to how he goes with it. This ought to make you want to shout, folks. I'm telling you. He said, I thank God through Christ Jesus. Man, now look, I'm not going to read on for another minute. Let that sink in. Paul said, I can't, but I've got someone that can, and he lives within me, so I'm going to praise him. See, y'all not getting it. He said, I thank God. Turn with me to Galatians 2.20, really quick. Taking some time, but I believe this is an investment of time. 2.20 of the book of Galatians. Now, folks, if this Bible isn't anything, it's real. I mean, they, 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 people try to tell me that this Bible is not relevant, that it's out of touch with the times. Can I tell us all, it's ahead of the times. It's as relevant as any thing that you'll ever want to lay hold of. Look here at Galatians 2.20. Now watch this. Watch the process. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he, he's, wait just a minute. He said, I'm crucified, meaning I died. I died. When Christ died, I died. That's what he's saying. I am crucified with Christ. But wait just a minute. Nevertheless, I live. Well, that's a paradox. How can you be dead and still alive? He's going to tell us. He said, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now back over in chapter 7. I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with, but with listen now. Can, can you hear the change? I can hear it. But with the flesh. I serve the law of sin. He doesn't say serve it, but he said the law of sin. Isn't that amazing? Thank you for bringing that up. It's great scripture. Questions, comments? Is that helpful? Can't wait to hear y'all after you do your little exercise. Back to chapter, chapter 2 of the book of 1 John. I'll get verse 10 so we can step in. Now watch, see, the, the chapter breaks in the Bible. You all know they're not in the original writings. I really believe God moved men to do this, but it breaks up the thought. If we're not careful, if we'll read from chapter 1, we'll stop and we'll know it's a new chapter, and we'll forget to take the thought of chapter 1 into chapter 2 and so forth. It helps us all find places in the Bible really quick. Let's just go back to 1 John chapter 2. Look what he said, verse 10. If we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar, and his truth is not in us. My little children, how beautiful is that? These things I've written that I have I written unto you. Here's another purpose for why he wrote that ye sin not. 
That's the ultimate. That's the goal. How many of you wish, and I ask you how many of you were a while ago sinless, nobody said anything, but how many of you wish you were sinless? Say amen. How many of you are looking forward to the day we will be sinless? Say glory to God. That's going to be one of these days. See, I'm my worst enemy. Not you, me. That fella I look in the mirror at every day. I am my worst enemy. Now watch this, what he says. These things have I written that ye sin not. Now he said some great things up there. He said the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. You know, so we can walk in fellowship. So that's not giving us liberty to sin. Don't have time, but I'm tempted to take you to the book of Romans chapter 5. And Paul does kind of a die, die, die. I won't try to call it. It's a die something. A type of of uh, question and answer thing in the book of Romans, kind of uh, anticipating the questions he might get if he were at Rome and then giving the answer. Paul said, where sin abounded, great thus much more abound. In the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6, he goes on to say, what then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, if we sin and grace abounds when we do, it looks like it would be better to go ahead and sin a lot so more grace could abound. Right? Wouldn't that sound logical? Can anybody tell me the next two words, though? Boy, that is it. You all know what that means? Perish the thought. Don't even think of such a thing like that. So that's sort of what John is saying here. He said, though the blood of Christ cleanses us, though when we confess, you know, He cleanses us, that doesn't give us the right to sin. He doesn't say, I'm giving you this so you can sin. I want you to know something, He says. I write these things that ye sin not. But look, and, what's the next word? Okay. See, He's practical, is He not? Do you all remember when I taught a couple of weeks ago on, on um, the Feast of, of Pentecost and I talked about those two loaves? Didn't I do that in this class? I know I did on Wednesday night. I thought I did on both because they both fit. Do you remember what I said when in those two loaves? Leaven, which is a picture or a type of evil, sin, wickedness, evil. That's it. Look, God knows us. Remember how many times have I told you all from the pulpit? We're not perfect Christians, but we got a perfect salvation. That's an important truth. He said, but if any man sin, now here I got this all wrong when I was young. I thought this was instructing me and anybody else to go have an advocate with the Father. But it says we have, clearly, there's no an, A-N. We have an advocate with the Father. It's not that we're to go and have an advocate. He's there. What is an advocate? I can't hear you. A go-between? What else is he known as? A mediator? Sure he is. An advocate. He, he, he is someone that stands up on our behalf. Turn with me to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 5 really quick. I, th- I, think, I think this is such a beautiful picture of this. Y'all remember John saw the book in the hand of him that sat on the throne, a seven-sealed book written within and without on the backside sealed with seven seals. John began to weep because there was no one that was found worthy. Heaven was searched, beneath the earth was searched, uh, earth, and earth itself. And, and listen to how this is. No man was found worthy. Well, Jesus is more than a man. 
Y'all can say amen anytime you want. And John began to weep. And the angel said, weep not, John, because, look, something, something's going on. He said, there's been one found. And, and he, he, he said, weep not, in verse 5. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Now, if I'd have been John, when I opened my eyes and cleared them of tears, guess what I would have been looking to see? A lion. That's what John just said. There's a lion of the tribe of Judah. But read with me what Jesus or what John saw. He said, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the world. Well, he didn't say that, but having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. He says that somewhere later in the book. Isn't that beautiful? You see, I believe, now listen, when we sin and we do, Jesus doesn't make excuses for us. But I believe, and then look, I, I don't think he stands up every time. Don't, don't take me wrong. So just let's use our spiritual imagination a little bit. I believe when the anti, uh, when, 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 when old smutty face, going to call him Antichrist, and he is, but when the adversary is what I needed to say, which is the accuser of the brother, comes before the throne about Tom Price, he don't make up things. He is a liar. He's the lie. He's the father of it. But trust me, when I sin, you sin. He doesn't have to make up anything about it. When he goes to the throne and says, hey, that's supposed to be one of yours. He's failed again, he'll probably say. And he even tells God what it is. I believe with all my heart, the Father looks at the Son. The Son will stand up on my behalf, maybe like he did, and he will on your behalf too, maybe like he did in Stephen, okay? And you know what he says? Look, Father, he said he's one of mine. And you know what I believe? I believe you can see the wounds. Those nail prints. Isn't that beautiful? Dear God, what a mediator. What a man in glory means to me and to you. Questions, comments? I could stay here forever. Let's get a couple more. Let's jump down in verse, uh, in verse 4. Well, I can't. Well, let me back up. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ's righteousness, propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. That propitiation means a mercy seat, a place of mercy. And I, I'm going to go on. He's not only the propitiation, he is the propitiator. Y'all remember a couple of weeks ago when I preached about the darkness? You know, he did it all for me. Y'all really participated in that, made it personal. I believe it made it more real. Remember I said when he was on the cross, the cross was made an altar and the high priest offered himself as the lamb. Y'all remember that? He was both the offering and the offerer. That's sort of what this depicts in pictures. Look at verse 4. He that saith, there it is again, he that saith I know him and keepeth, what's that word, E-T, what, what's the word E-T-H on it mean most all the time? A continual process. A habitual process. He that keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You remember when I preached on Rahab a couple of weeks ago, and I told you she heard the word, she believed, and how I know she believed, because of the works that she did proved it. Listen, if you all agree with me, say amen. If we're saved, we'll manifest some kind of fruit. 
Now, the fruit of the Spirit is, 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 is the big leader, but, but that manifests itself in a lot of ways. Well, look at that. If, we, if Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and if we do love him, we will. Doesn't we mean we do it perfectly or continually? But look at this in verse 5. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, whereby do we know that we are in him. And he, say, he that saith, he abideth in him, ought also himself to walk, even as he, meaning Jesus Christ, walked. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions, and I'm going to jump in chapter 3 and spend maybe five minutes there, maybe pick it back up next week, and then we'll get done. What are we called today? Anybody remember where in the Bible we were first called what we're called today? What are we called today? Christian. What does Christian mean? Christ-like, followers of Christ. It also means little Christs or many Christs. Can anybody remember in the Bible where that it was first used to refer to followers of Christ? That's right. And you all know they used that as a derogatory term. It wasn't complimentary. But we have taken it, and God has blessed it and used it as that. And that's what we're to be. We're to be reflections of Him. Jump over there in chapter 3. What a great, great couple of scriptures we want to look at here. What a great chapter this is. Pick it up in verse, uh, in verse 5. Now look, He says, And ye know that He, meaning Christ, was manifest to take away our sins, and in Him He is no sins. He became sin for us. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He had no sin when you thrash all of it out. But look at verse 6. read 5 to get 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. You know what that means? Whosoever abideth in him does not make sin a lifestyle, a habitual form of living. It doesn't mean that we won't sin on occasion. We've found that out. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. we found that out, that we've got a high priest that's, that's there making intercession for us. He prays for us. But whosoever abideth in Him does not walk in darkness, is another way to say it. Does not sin habitually. Can, can I tell you all my heart? That church down at the end of the hollow at Woodward. It, it saddens me. I'm a totally aware of it every time we go by, going up or down. And how sad that it is that people that have a lifestyle that they have, have the testimony of life that they live, and they're in so much darkness they think they're in light. That's sad, folks. The Bible says the eye be single, the whole body is full of light, but if the eye be dark, how great is that dark? That's sad. Look at verse, look at verse 7. Little, little children, let no man deceive you. And there's a lot of people deceived. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that, what's the word? See the E-T-H? Committeth habitually, perpetually, not infrequently, not on occasion, but he that committeth sin... And wait just a minute. I've not said anything about this, but I'm going to. He's not just talking about the sins of the flesh. He's talking about the sins of the Spirit. Y'all know what those are? Anybody? 
It, it could have to do with the thought life without a doubt. That's where sin actually originates. When we have thoughts, it's not sin yet. It's when those thoughts become to crystallize and we begin to try to get that, try to have that and participate in that, then it becomes the sin. And then once we commit that sin, goes from a thought and a plan and we commit it, it brings forth death. Death has to do with always separation. See? So, do you ever talk real mean to somebody regularly? I mean, you're just, you're just hateful. You're not when you're at church. You're not when you're in public. But boy, when you're at home, you just let your husband, your wife, your kids, you let them hang out to dry. Anybody have that problem? Oh, y'all are quiet now, aren't you? That's a sin of the flesh or spirit. When, when we're wrong in our spirit, when our spiritual life, I mean, when, we're, we're, when we're accusatory, and, when, and there are other things that go with that. But if you want to read about it, it's either 1 Corinthians 7 or 2 Corinthians 7. And we are, are to lay down the sins of the flesh and the spirit. If you want to do a study on that sometime, I will. I, don't, I, I didn't take time to dig into that. It just came. Here's verse 8, and we're going to quit. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Golly. John was just calling them a liar. Now what's he calling them? A child of the devil. <laughs> Ever forget a young man got saved where I was working at Bethlehem. It's a good man. I loved him. We had good fellowship together. And I was, I was up in a, in a cut, you know, in between buggies. I could hear this guy witnessing to a sinner. He was a sinner. He knew it. He had admitted. And that, that guy started, said, hey, you know what? said, you're a child of the devil. And I'm thinking, Chuck, that's, that, that's, not the way, that's not the way to win somebody. It's true, but you know, you're not, you know. And he had good intentions. He was a young Christian. He was fired up and he'd read that, you know. And, and, uh, but, but it's true. If we commit sin, folks, we, we're not a child of the king. We're, we're a child of the enemy. For the devil, look at this, sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Questions, comments before we close? Was this helpful? I mean, once you put them together, once you see, it, aren't they easy? I mean, isn't it so easy to see? It's undeniable. So here's what I'm thinking. I was hoping to finish 1 John. We'll, we'll still look in. 1 John 5, Patsy, so you just have to come back about the sin unto death or listen in if you can't, can't come. After the revival, we have, what, I think three more Tuesday nights in March, and we'll pick up here in 1 John 5 or back up and answer any questions that I can that you all may have when I've, what I've been sharing with you, what I shared tonight. And then what I'd like for us to do I'd like for you all to gather up your questions. When I present them from the pulpit, I'll make them anonymous. But you can either write them out so I can understand them and research them or text them to me, okay, if there's things specific you want. Because I want to deal with things like, well, Judas was an apostle, but he went to hell. How, how'd that happen? What, what's up with that? This man that I mentioned in... The Corinthian, the book of Corinthians. I mean, he did those things that even the Gentiles didn't do. He had his, you know, he had his father's wife. He went to bed with her. 
had illicit sex with her. If we didn't have the book of Peter, when the book of Genesis and the story of of a man by the name of Lot ended in chapter 19 as a father of his own daughter's two children, how many of you all would have believed that he was righteous and that he was saved? I wouldn't. If I didn't have Peter referring to Lot as righteous Lot and that his soul was vexed, if you wonder what that is, if you look in the world and get real troubled in your spirit of what's going on, that's vexation of the spirit. I wouldn't have thought Lot was saved. We'll look at those kind of things. That's kind of what I want to know. Look, I don't have all the answers. And here's what I am going to tell you. I don't know how long the prodigal was in the hog pen. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. If he would have died in the hog pen, he would have died a son. What's the Bible call him in, 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 in um, Luke 15? Call him the prodigal pig? But to prove he was his son, he got out of the hog pen, went back home. And if you ever, and I got to go, I know I'm running you late. If you ever read closely and paid attention, When he said, here's what I'm going to do. When I get back to my father's house, he already had him a made-up prayer. He said, I'm going to declare, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and am no longer worthy to be called thy what? Okay, when he got there, he did what he said he was going to do. Now watch this. This is beautiful. I mean, the, the Word of God tells us stuff even when it's not saying stuff. Got back there and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, 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 and against thee, and am no, long, no longer, is what he was going to say, I'm no longer uh, worthy to be called thy son. What did the father do before he got to that place? He cut him off. When he confessed and said, I've sinned against heaven and against you, the father cut him off, said, hey, somebody get that ring, get those robes and those shoes, kill that calf. And let me tell you all what I believe about that calf. I believe that calf was put up the day that boy left home. Now, if he stayed long, the father replaced it. Don't know how long he stayed. But if he'd have died in the pig pen, he'd have died. And that's, that would have been one of those untimely, okay, sins unto death. He would have died a son. I'm just telling you what the Word of God called him. Now, you go over into Peter. I'm going to quit on this one. Lord, don't let me lie. Peter Peter says, as the true proverb, the sow is returned to the wallowing in her mouth. Why does a pig like a pig pen? Because it's a pig. Why does a dog, after puking, return to its own puke and eat it? You see, a pig is a pig, a dog is a dog, and a son is a son. The character that they have make them do what they do. Are y'all getting this? This is good stuff, and it's not costing you a penny. Just some of your time. We do what we do because we are what we are. So anyway. All right, I love y'all. Thank you. Hope it's good. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. How precious, how precious this book is. And thank you for giving it to us, making it so plain, God, that even, even I can understand it, how precious it is. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit 
that enables us to understand the word that he inspired holy men of God to write. Thank you for loving us, for saving us, and for keeping us. Until we can look on you face to face like Job said, we're going to continue to look to you by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks.